I want to take you back prior to 2007. Right, yeah. What were you doing prior to 2007? I worked in IT uh, for about 15 years for British Aerospace. And I worked on projects like the uh, um, the astute nuclear submarine and in-flight entertainment systems on aeroplanes, doing the IT for bits and pieces like that. But I was always dreaming about painting right from the very beginning. Um, I can just, I've got a distinct memory of me sitting in a room full of servers, all banked up and th- thinking about painting. I'm not thinking about computers at all, thinking about painting mm. and trying to find other people in the offices that, also were interested in painting so we could kind of match up and talk about it so there was this kind of strange desire to to create and you know there was no sort of ambition at all and no desire for money or anything it was the it was the love of painting and I'd get home and I would sort of I think I've probably had a couple of um, failed relationships because of this but I would get home have my tea (laughs) and want to spend the evening painting and that's like the the thing that used to I used to love is is, and what mediums were you interested in during that time? Well, I started in um, oil paints, and I was trained in oil paints, and I used to I was an apprentice to a um, landscape teacher called Chris Baker, who lives in West Sussex, and he is an excellent painter and an even better teacher, and he owns a cowshed of a barn. It's in the middle of a field. This is great big cowshed. Um, and it was so inspiring. I used to go in there at the weekends and just clean all his paint and tidy up and sweep and do all the menial things. It's kind of like um, earning your, putting your dues, working your way up there. And then he would sit down with me with a coffee and a croissant and we would talk about painting and he would get me to do sort of quite obscure things like um, just getting a panel and painting it different shades of grey and different shapes, Not not looking at form at all and seeing how they move backwards and forwards and how the shapes related to each other so I'd spend a lot of time doing that and that really sort of got loads of ideas in my head and then I moved on to uh, I decided I wanted a studio of my own so I had a look around see if I could find someone there was a big stately home near where I lived um, and they had some spare rooms going and but the only one I could afford was quite a small room about the size of this room but it was um, the old ladies' toilets. So it was all tiled floors, and the cubicles had been taken out, thank goodness for that, but it was, it was still the ladies' toilets. Um, so I set that up as my studio, and I used to, it was lovely. I used to drive to this stately home every day, and um, I'd have, it would be an open studio, so anyone visiting the stately home could come in and, and have a look at my paintings. And while I was doing that, I, was doing, uh, I moved to charcoal. I moved away from oil um, right at the very beginning when I started painting, my teacher said that I wasn't a colorist. I didn't have a very good eye for color. He said, I'm a tonal person. So I moved naturally to, from color to black and white with charcoals and mucked around with charcoals for quite a while. And then after that, I, I think I was on the internet and I saw a picture. I can't remember who by, I wish I knew who it was. Um, of a, a, a Holger shot of uh, some trees in the lake. And I thought that was absolutely you know, <laughs> fantastic. It was really dreamy, you know, just like a classic Holger shot. Yeah. But I hadn't seen anything like that before. And also at the same time, I bought a copy of Black and White magazine and they had a, a Polaroid um, Type 55 
print of a uh, plant. Oh, I can't remember the chap's name, Irish chap, but he was it was fantastic. And so that coming, oh, this photography thing looks really good. Um, so I bought myself a Holger and took a few shots um, of medium format film and uh, developed it myself. And it's one of those things where you look at it and you think, this is brilliant. I can get these these th 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 this wonderful gut feeling of happiness looking at making these things. And then the painting and charcoal stopped and the photography took over. Were they black and white, uh, the Holger? Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I've, I've never done any... I, I don't know how to um, develop anything in colour. I'm sure it's quite a tricky process. So, yeah, nice and simple for me. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it sort of started from there. It's really strange because I've gone um, the other way to you. I've started doing charcoal stuff. Well, yeah, yeah I, think, I think the two, painting and, and any kind of other art, I think they, sh they can be meshed and they, you can flip yeah. from one to the other. Yeah. And I think it's a real shame that they are separated. And, and of course, you use that technique that you learnt uh, because uh, your pencil and line drawings have uh, um, ev uh, you used to evolve to make the island pictures that you uh, the, uh, photographs that you make yeah um and so that element there's a there's that strand all the way through your work then there is and there's something to do with drawing um i find that it's when you're drawing something you have to look at it if i was drawing that cup for example i'd have to look at it and then if you're actually going to draw it properly you'd have to look at it again and again to get the tones and, and you have to really uh, channel your vision. And I find that that is something that sort of uh, laps, overlaps with photography as well for me. Did, does any of your IT uh, life have any relevance to what you do? Only the advantages I've got of knowing how to use computers and, and uh, you know, Lightroom, but I think that's most people can get the hang of that. Yeah. Um, but the, all the heavy stuff that I was doing with IT, no, not really at all. It's, uh, no. And so 2007, you start, uh, it's really strange. Poppet is a, a kind of weird place for me hmm. because A, um, my um, a c a cousins of mine lived in Cardigan, so they would go to Poppet Sands during the summers. And I, and I remember going there as a child with them hmm. and playing on the beach there. And Poppet is weird as well in Wales because it has this English name. It's this kind of, it's an anachronism in the middle of all this Welshness. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so uh, the, what was, I mean, did you move to West Wales, um, uh, when did you move to West Wales? Was it uh, prior to 2007? Or? We moved, yeah, we moved in 2007. Right. Um, uh, because after my time working in IT, um, I had these plans to become full-time um, photographer. Mm -hmm. And so my wife and I thought, right, where can we go somewhere where we can afford a house? afford to raise a family and be surrounded by the, something that's inspiring. Um, so we looked in quite a few places and then we came here and we thought, this is fantastic. I didn't know anything about Poppet at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so we moved here um, and then I started doing the rounds of all the local beaches and trying all the landmarks, like I'm sure virtually every other landscape photographer that comes around does. Um, and... Uh, 
I was, you know, I got into a gallery in, in Cardigan and thought, right, this is great. They can, they started selling my stuff. But the owner of the, of the gallery said, why don't you go to Poppet Sands? So I went to Poppet Sands um, and uh, it was just, um, luckily it was an evening when there was a low tide and it was, you know, it was perfect. And I got photographs at that time that I'd never had before, like before. So a serendipitous. Absolutely, it's pure chance. It could have been any beach. I, I know that Poppet is a lovely beach and it's it's enormous and everything. It's got lots of great features and it's got free parking, which is really, really important. <laughs> um, it, it is because, I mean, if, if I think, if it feels like if I'd have to pay two pounds or something for parking every time I'd go there, I would have spent thousands by now and I, I might have even thought second, thought twice about going out there quite so often. So having free parking was quite a bonus. Um, but I, there's so many lovely beaches uh, that it could have been any of them. But it's Poppet that I went to. I got those shots, and um, crumbs. It's such a long time ago now, and um, it really. It wasn't like a eureka moment or anything. It was just like, um, ah, oh, right. So I can keep on going back to this place, and it can keep on giving. Did you initially, when you went there, did you photograph the vista, or yeah. uh, was that what? what pulled you uh, to begin with or I mean how did you discover Poppet uh, Mike Jackson's Poppet Sands well, well the the landscape itself the first few times I went there probably the first few months I went there it was standard landscape yeah. shots um, but then you know I was just getting into the idea of the golden hour and things in the evening look beautiful and there's something special about the light on the sand and, and whatnot. Um, and the rays coming through the cloud and all, all the standard things that I think most people go through um, when they start out. Mm-hmm. And I thought, right, okay, this is, this is fantastic. But then I started slowly to notice that you can only take so many shots of that one particular mm. um, landscape before you start repeating yourself. Mm-hmm. And I really liked getting my teeth... I, when, when I used to paint, I used to do portraits and I used to just do hundreds and hundreds of portraits. It's something about me that I find something and I, I just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it to get into the real nitty gritty of what yeah. I'm doing. But I found with the photographing one particular place, I found that it was a bit limiting. I, I, I couldn't do it with just as a normal landscape. And I also noticed that the sand, the bottom half of the, the, the picture was moving and changing all the time. The top half was, you know, apart from the sky, it was pretty standard so I found the camera slowly <laughs> tilting down and then I started finding that all my shots were not well they they are including the sky but it's all in the water yes reflections yes. yeah and I'm you know it's like a gradual movement and then I probably within a year I was just concentrating on things that were happening on the beach rather than the beach itself and of course, your time was limited uh, because you know you were waiting for low tide. I, I guess, from my uh, knowledge of Poppet, it, you have to wait for low tide before you get those wonderful shapes you get in the sand. Yeah, well, it's um, I really limited myself to the most basic elements that I could, mm. partly to make it as simple as possible for me, because I found there were so many variables anyway mm. that if I started mucking around with other things like different films or different lenses mm. or different cameras, I wouldn't have this solid core of something to grab hold of. So I, I kept it to the same film, the same camera, same lens, and the same time of day, uh, which was it worked re- really well for me. And I could gauge things and 
balance them off against each other because I knew that I was using exactly the same the same things all the way through. Um, but then I found that that that's good up to a point, hmm. but it's also quite limiting up to a point. Hmm. Um, so I started changing the times of day that I went because before I could only do low tide as you said low tide mm. and in the evening mm. um and that's a pain mm. um, absolutely and i'll be sitting at how home. many times a month about three or four yeah, times something a month? like that and yeah. i'll be sitting at home so frustrated and also when i got there i would be desperate to get as many roles done as possible because i thought right this is the only time i'm gonna i gotta got it and uh, i wasted so much time and i wasn't relaxed not that I really am ever relaxed when I'm there, but I wasn't as relaxed as I should be. I wasn't concentrating as much as I should be. And I'd be dreadfully disappointed if I'd go there and my camera would jam or it started to rain. It'd be a real, real punch in the stomach. But so I thought, right, I've got to try other times of day because, you know, there's low tides. If I can find a way of doing it other times of day, then it opens up, pop it completely to me all through the year. Mm. Um, and then going there over and over again at different times of day brought up all sorts of other problems because there'll be a lot more people on the yeah. beach and they'll be shiny. All the lovely reflections that I liked, they were all disappeared. So, But then I I started discovering things that I really enjoyed because of those problems. Yeah, there's one particular shot I like. You've got, um, I, I was looking at your website and uh, there's a lovely uh, shot um of those lovely uh, um, sh abstract shapes in the sand, and you've got the dog marks going yeah. across. And that, that's uh, so I, I mean, because dogs are a nuisance on a beach to photographers sometimes. Well, they They're, were a nuisance when I started, yes. Um, and I used to hate it because I'd be getting everything cute, cute sort, of, sort of lined up, and it would be fantastic. And then this dog would run past and start licking me. And 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 uh, but it's one of those things, and it's happened over and over again where. I found that if you come across a problem that is really irritating, it's so much better to be able to get that problem and, and make it something yes. rather than avoid it. Absolutely. So yeah. I found that um, with the dog footprints and human footprints, they're all over the place. I found that they're really, they make really interesting points of interest and they can really make mm. a composition, I find, mm. um, rather than, than break it. And I quite like the fact when they, they've broken some of the pretty patterns up I find that I began to find that the, the patterns can uh, look a bit too beautiful, if that's the case. But and, and to have footprints there and dog footprints, even dogs carrying sticks and dragging them through and making marks in the sand, mm. I found that sort of added a lot to it. Um, so I started getting really fascinated about it. It's almost like Chinese Japanese painting with these wonderful black marks. If you paint them, print them really high contrast, mm. they look almost like writing in the sand. Yeah. Um, and also another major problem I had was um, glare of the sun yes. in the water. Yeah. Uh, if you go midday... So were you polarising your lens then? I did at the beginning. At the right. beginning, I always used a red filter and a polariser. Yeah. Um, but I've ditched both of those. And right. um, I found that it, so many times you just have this sun blasting away at mm. you in the water and you think... Oh, no, no. But then I started getting into looking at the negative of the prints and I realised that the sun just looks fantastic in the water when it's a negative. It's this wonderful black dot, yes, um, which looks really spectacular mm. to me, anyway, mm. um, and looks unreal. Mm. So then I, I realised, well, actually, this thing that could have been a, a major problem and was a pain in the backside can be sort of changed and made into something that is a feature that makes me excited about it. 
Yeah, it's interesting you're talking about uh, Japanese stuff on the ground because um, of late, well, no, not of late really, but uh, I've got a little obsessed with the beach. Yeah. Um, and I find there's one particular beach I go to and um, uh, as the tide recedes, you get uh, the tide and the water makes uh, very thin lines in and if you get a mixture of black and um and um sand colored sand you get these amazing uh, vistas that happen on uh, on the sand really? and i've become quite obsessed with them yeah. and they look very japanesey they are in a, in a kind of japanese style of mountains and uh, ridges and you get thin lines of plastic as well you know bits of pla- and it is astonishing yeah. what you can see beneath your feet yeah yeah and, and maybe it's a lesson all photographers should learn they should look beneath their feet uh, i think yeah i think i think people say that uh, 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 say you know look at what's at your feet yeah. and also look at what's local rather than yeah. going very far i think for me as well as those things it's the repetition which is really important and i think it's some people have the expectation of things coming to them really quickly and being being uh, available to them within you know, they go to a place and they go for a week or they visit it for a week and they kind of expect it to give them something special. And I think you have to be prepared to invest your time and almost pay respect to the, the place enough. Go and give it enough of your time. And well, the beach itself doesn't change, obviously. Well, it does. It changes all the time, but it is always going to give you the same beach what changes is yourself and that that takes a long long time it takes years and years i think so the emo- <clears throat> you have an emotional investment in your work then um i don't know if i i'm always wary of emotion i i'm i kind of think i'm always wary of emotion and sentiment I, I i hate um sentimentality in in photography in my photography anyway i always try and avoid that as much as i can um, I find that I have an attachment to it, but not a, oh, I'd like to go and get married on the beach or something like that. It's, it's, it is very much like a workplace. It, it's not like a, uh, a fun place to go to. It's a place that I'm fascinated by. I'm trying to think of a, a comparison, uh, that I could it's like eating a lovely meal. It's not fun to eat a lovely meal. It's nourishing and it's it's enjoyable, but you don't say you're having great fun eating it. it it's it's kind of like that. It's like a nourishing experience. Respect, and, perhaps. Yeah. Yes, and it it feels like, like I said, it's like I'm investing time into the location, and it's it's a it's. It's not giving me things back because it's not a physical thing. It can't give me things back. What's happening is my mind is seeing things that I couldn't see and you kind of it, it kind of twists it and makes it feel like the beach is giving me things but it isn't giving me things it's just that I'm seeing more in it and uh, over that period of t- I mean uh, how I mean Poppet is a big place mm. yeah how confined is your 
palette uh, or your looking space uh, on Poppet? Or, uh, 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 I mean, are there other areas, you've been there doing it for a long time, mm. are there other areas of Poppet that you want to explore and work with? There are uh, massive areas that I haven't touched. My, where I've been going is very limited. It's usually a bit by the weather, the river um, touches the Poppet, and also there's a bit far out, it's called the Cardigan Bar, which is right when, when it's really low tide. Mm. Um, but there's, I think I've probably touched about a, a tenth of the beach, probably less than that. There's a whole side of it that I haven't touched. Um, so I, once again, I, I've sort of kind of tried to whittled it down to make it as condensed as possible because I, I feel that if I started wandering off into other areas mm. at the moment, it might overcomplicate things for me. And I'm still getting things from the other parts of the beach or the parts of the beach that I've been visiting for such a long time now mm. that it kind of, it amazes me each time I go there. You know, I've been to this place so many times, um, but the very nature of the beach, the fact it's renewed all the time, it just keeps on giving. So I'm just fascinated with how, at the moment, on those same places. Somebody said, um, I think somebody said yesterday, they'd like to dive into one of your photographs. Oh, would he? Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, I try and... <clears throat> when I think of the photographs, I try and think of them as uh, heavy. I think that's probably the best way. I, I imagine they're kind of heavy to hold, which may sound a bit strange. No, I understand but, the but concept it, completely. Yeah, it's kind of like I don't want them to be light, not light in tone, but that I want them to look like they're almost like carved out of stone a bit. Um, I've never actually thought of diving into them, but it's nice that someone would like to do that. Yeah, yeah. and I think I remarked once, I, I remember looking at one of uh, when you uh, posted on Twitter and I thought, this guy's turned the painting up, uh, or turned the painting, see? Mm-hmm. And turned the photograph upside down. And I think I remarked to you that uh, I thought it was upside down, but it wasn't upside down. It was the right way up. Because mm. you, uh, you came back to me and said, no, it's not upside down. That's the way it's meant to be. Oh, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and I was, it was kind of... Um, because I think sometimes um, I like to turn uh, stuff like that upside down and fiddle around with it yeah. because it, it kind of gives it a totally new dimension and a friend of mine actually worked a lot and he turned lots of his photographs upside down mm. and it's remarkable the, the way you start to look at things when you um when you're uh, uh when you're turning them upside down anyway that's yeah. just uh, no i agree it's the it, the composition comes through yeah and it's the same with um painting it's the, one of the, the old tricks you do is you look at the painting in the mirror yes. when you're doing it yeah and it because your eye becomes very familiar of what you're doing and you don't you, you don't necessarily catch what what's really going on but if you turn it upside down it's just like seeing it for the first time and yes. and and if there is something strong there it really strikes you yeah um so it's like putting it away for a week and then bringing it out again <clears throat> and judging a picture by that initial reaction rather yeah. than yeah. the reaction you've had after w- looking at it for hours on end and you've exhibited uh, all over the world um, mm. and what sort of reactions do you get to your work really good generally yeah generally I get a few people that say ah, we've seen all this before um, so uh, you know you can't please everybody mm. and it can become it's quite a common thing I think for people to take pictures of ripples in the sand mm. um, and black and white ripples in the sand uh, so you don't get 
positive all the time. You get lots of lovely comments um, in visitor books and things. I got one from uh, the Pembrokeshire Coastal Path Centre just mm. recently because I had an exhibition there and it was filled with lovely comments. Only one comment said, I came here to expect to see you dance um, because of my name. Mm. So, you know, I usually get quite a few of those, but this time it's only just one of those comments this time. <laughs> Bless them. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but it, yeah, I generally good reception. Uh-huh. Um and yeah, usually, usually pretty, pretty pleased with what people think. Yes, but it, it doesn't. I try not to let that. It's funny. Well, I, I went. I was actually went to. I hadn't been to public for years and years and years and years. Mm. And I was meeting a friend there because he was going to give me a painting. Actually, so I met the guy in the car park, and he gave me a painting. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll, you know, I'll have a wonder. So I went down and it was, uh, the tide was coming in. Mm. But what, uh, so see, what fascinated me about the place was the way that the, actually the water actually creates. So I was photographing the water mm. and I found the water and what it does to the sand underneath and the way the water, especially when light hits it in a particular way, mm. you get these swirls and things happening in water, mm. which I found fascinating because I've only, the only other place I've seen mm. That happen is, believe it or not, in mumbles. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, where you get this really uh, coarse sand. So everything that you look, uh, and when the light hits in a particular way, you get these um, swirls and sort of, uh, and shapes, mm. uh, geometrical shapes uh, that the water creates with the light. Mm. And you get these fascinating sort of uh, jewels happening in, 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 in pools and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it was, and it was, so do you look at the water at all? I mean, I know it's part of the, the, the photograph and you, you, you like the wetness of the sand. Mm. Um, but do you photograph the water? Have you ever thought about photogra- photographing um, the water? I think I, I've never actually gone up to the breaking waves. Right. Um, but I, because of the river that runs along yes. it, on the beach, yes. um, I photograph on the edge quite a bit. And mm. I had thought about the water. Um, if it's... If it's there and and it crosses my path yeah. and and it something inside sparks when I look at it, then yeah. I'll photograph it. I don't really have a any kind of agenda when I go. It's okay. I just take whatever's whatever's there and just hope that I can get in that into that particular state of mind where I can see properly and then it right. all clicks and everything starts happening. Yes, the photographic muse. Yeah, it takes it takes a while sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it happens straight away. There's no rhyme or reason about it. I quite often find the first shot I take is rubbish and then it all sort of starts working after that. Sometimes nothing happens at all. Uh, every now and then, sometimes the first shot's the only one that's worth keeping. Um, there's, no, there's no rule at all. Um, but I'd certainly find that I get into a certain state of mind on the beach um, when it's almost like um, tunnel vision. I, I only realised this um, a couple of years ago, and it's all this thing about realising what's happening to yourself when you're actually out there taking photographs. You're being self-aware of how you're reacting to it. And I realised that I get this kind of strange tunnel vision, and I get it when I'm in a stressful situation where I kind of oh, channel like that. If I'm in a room full of strangers and I'm in a nervous situation, I don't recognise anybody either side of me. I'm, I get this tunnel vision. It's a bit strange. But I get, also get it when I'm working well on the beach. Yeah. And it's kind of like you see something. And wherever you look, you, it, it, everything seems to work. 
Yeah. Whereas if I wasn't thinking that way, then it would be, oh, I'll be groping and looking and setting things up and going, oh, no, that's not right. That's not right. But but when I'm in that state of mind, I find it's fantastic. I move from one spot to another spot to another spot. And all of the, the uh, compositions seem to naturally fit and slot into the frame of the camera as I put it down and wallop, great snap, wallop, great snap, rather than putting it down, oh no, putting it down, oh no. Do you, uh, um, all handheld or do you do uh, tripod oh, it's stuff? All, it's all tripod. I, I spent some time doing handheld. Um, I thought, you know, I was trying things out and I thought, right, handheld would be free, uh, or make me free or make it faster. But I found that um, my focusing wasn't as good when I was uh, having to handhold it. Um, uh, so I found with the tripod, I, it's obviously steadier and I could I could just spend a few seconds more getting the focusing just right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I found there's a chunk when I did handheld that just don't look right. So they're kind of like being discarded. Uh, so that was about a year or so of my life wasted. Um, and I went back to tripod again. Right, and okay. everything seems sort of so much better. Um, the medium format. Mm. Why medium format? What what is what is the je ne sais quoi about medium format? Um, well, I started medium format, especially with the Hasselblad. I think because when I right at the very very beginning, I was like Charlie Waite, and I thought Charlie Waite, and you see his film with the Hasselblad, yeah. and you think it's like that little bit of hero worship that yeah. I think a lot of people go through. Yeah. Um, and then he had this wonderful Hasselblad and I thought, yeah, that's what I've got to go for. And I got one eventually because they're pretty cheap. And um, I think it's probably because I started with that Hasselblad and um, I, you know, what's the point of changing it if you really like it? I think if I tried any other type of camera at Poppet, I would have probably adapted my technique around it and things probably might have turned out looking differently but I would have kept on with that particular camera I mean I have tried other cameras I've tried uh, large format cameras um, and I tried digital as well but they just I couldn't get on with them and that might be my fault it might be that I wasn't prepared to invest enough time into trying them out properly but um, I was greedy for progress i was greedy to develop i was greedy to move on and i found with the hasselblad i could go out there and see something new with it and I, I knew it back to front i could operate it with my eyes closed but then it's taking a great big large format camera out there with the the hood and everything and the wind blowing you over and it getting into all the sand getting into all the bits and pieces i found a couple of times visiting with that thing and you know my enthusiasm dampened a little bit. And the Hasselblad's a fantastic thing. It can take a real wallop and uh, it takes sand. And I've had to replace my tripod three times and I've had to replace my camera bag three times because of the salt. But the Hasselblad is still the same camera. I think I changed the back. I had to change, I've got two backs. I've lost two because they broke, but I've still got two left, I think, or is it one? But anyway, the, the Hasselblad is still a... And I bet you like to handle it they're tactile it's lovely yeah i used to give it a, a clean and polish and you know show it to my wife and say look at this lovely <laughs> camera isn't it beautiful but i don't do that anymore quite so much anymore not not really it's it became it is a beautiful thing and i love the fact it's so mechanical and i love the fact that it is so old and it's still going yes and i love the fact that the lens is from the 60s and basically everything that i've shot on pop it it's light 
has reflected off the beach and it's passed through that lens. Yeah. I just love the fact that that lens has got all that memory wrapped up inside it. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't, it's become more of a, a tool now rather than an object of desire. I don't buy sort of camera magazines. I haven't got like a, a an interest in cameras. That might sound a bit strange, but I don't, I don't follow what's happening. But I might do if I come across a work that I want to do that needs a certain type of digital camera that's got a particular feature, then I, I probably get a bit obsessed about that and I'd get obsessed about digital, but I haven't got that yet. Some would say uh, film is dying. It won't last. Um, do you think it has longevity still? I, I yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's got something. It's got a, a sort of a, a poetic thing about it that I really like. But I think it would be a mistake to say that it is superior to any anything else. No. I. I personally think that digital isn't a fantastic medium there's loads of other things that, that are fantastic um, and I think here film has still got so many possibilities and there are people doing new things with it all the time mm. um, and it's got this wonderful physical thing where you can actually hold it um, and adapt it and change it and do all sorts of things with it uh, especially if you combine that with the dark room yeah. um, and people obviously over you know 100 years of worked on it and done so many wonderful things but i i think it it could last a lot longer if they're prepared to keep on making it and yes. i know they've stopped making the holger now yeah so that's the concerning thing is that i know that it's almost the holger brought people students into the realm of film and mm. got them interested in it mm. and i'm just a bit well concerned that sparked off after, yeah yeah i mean without the holger you wouldn't yeah be yes. doing photography I possibly guess. possibly yeah um so it's a little bit of a worry that if that's not there is it like a domino effect as everything else tumble and, and fall? Yeah. Um, so I kind of hope that you know, there's still the Diana, I think that's still made. Yes. Um, and there's still a, quite a big interest in plastic cameras and self-made cameras and, yes. and that kind of thing. Um, so I just hope it stays popular at the root level with students and people interested in that kind of thing. And, and it, let's just hope it, it keeps on going. But if it doesn't, it's not the for me personally, I would find another way. I would. I wouldn't stop just because film goes. I would be prepared to invest some more time in another medium out there to to get what I wanted to. Do you? I mean, yeah, two thousand and seven. It's now two thousand and fifteen. Yeah, it's a long time. One big project like mm. Puppet is a massive project, really. Mm. How many, I mean, I know it sounds like a trite question, but how many images have you created in that period? Um, oh, I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. Do you go back at all and look at stuff that you've done? Do you go back to your uh, negative archive and, 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 and look? Um, sometimes I do. Um, I've, 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 loads, I think is probably the... I mean, when I go out there, I usually take a maximum of three rolls of film um, sometimes if I'm if I'm really on fire it's like five rolls but that really happens very rarely um, that's a bit, yeah I haven't even thought about how much money I've spent on film um, so I really I've got no idea but I know because I scan everything into Lightroom just as it like so I can I scan things into Lightroom and I just keep it as a catalogue in, in Lightroom um, that I've got about 400 500 ones that I'm really pleased with that um, 
when I'm prepared to print mm-hmm. and get out there. But how much of a percentage that is, uh, I don't know. Do you do you, when you've been out on a shoot to pop it, or uh, do you come back and immediately um, process the film, or do you leave it for a while? Um, I usually, I don't have much choice. I mean, if I've got about two or three rolls, um, I only do one at a time, and it's quite nice. I won't do it immediately, but I'll do the first one within a few days, hopefully, mm-hmm. and then by the end, by the time I get to the third roll, I'd have. I'll just be developing it and then I'll just be ready to go out again. Mm-hmm. So it kind of means that I've always got an interest. Something's happening on Poppet, whether I'm there or not. I'm either out there or I'm working on the film. Yeah. I think if I try and did them, develop them all in one go, that would leave me too big a chunk of time to before I could get out there again. Right. So uh, yeah. uh, Jumping uh, there to um, a dark room, um, I used to spend a student I spend hours in the dark room overnight mm, <laughs> mm. Uh, in a dark room uh, just experimenting with stuff um, yeah and um, so how long do you spend in the dark room well every day um, um, uh, it's it's not just a dark room for me it's like a place I can just shut the door it's your lock... shed room yeah it is it? yeah it's a man cave type thing <laughs> yeah. I can do anything I want in there and I, that's really important for me because when I'm mucking around and doing stuff with any of the other work that I do it's I, I do sort of tend to try ridiculous things or anything that pops into my mind um, so I mean I'm, I'm in there from 9 till 4.30 every weekday and if I'm getting at the weekend as well I'll get in there but that's not always with chemicals and that's that's um that's, that could be sometimes just sitting there and thinking about stuff and trying to figure out why on earth something went wrong or or what should I do with this particular print. Or... Uh, do you keep notes of everything you do? No, I don't. Or maybe I should. But I tend to remember everything. Um, I was asked this question recently. I can't remember who by. But I um, generally, in life, <laughs> I'm useless with things. I can't remember. If you asked me the villages around where I live, I couldn't tell you people's names I'm awful with as well um, but when it comes to things to do with darkroom work and times and chemical combinations and things I can leave it for a month or so and then come back and jump straight in there and I for some reason it sort of clicks back again um, and I kind of think that I kind of prioritize things that are important to me in my mind and uh, those things that happen in my darkroom are quite important uh, but the printing process is um an important aspect of your work. Mm. Um, I mean, silver gelatin prints, it's, you know, mm. big prints. Then, mm, no. No. No, they're, they're, um, I, I'm not a good printer at the best of times. I can, I can print just well enough to get what I want. Okay. I could never print someone else's work. So I wouldn't class myself as a good printer at all, apart from I can print my work to give my results that I want. Really? Because mm. I would assume that you were a very, very, very good printer. No, if you gave me a negative of yours, I wouldn't have an idea what to do with it. I, I, would, I would struggle. But I found that I seem to do what I need to get do to get the results that I want. And okay. anything else, to learn anything else would be too much for me to, or it would be distracting from from my sort of what I want to do okay so I, I you know I, no, I'm uh, not, and what sort of manipulation do you do 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 any manipulation to the negs at all do yeah you dodge, dodge I, I'll and burn, very, 
print and, yeah. and all that. That's that, and uh, dodging and burning. Yeah. But I'm not a uh, an expert at, at, in any way. In any way, I, I, what I do is I just do what I do to get what I want. And uh, like I said, if if someone asked me, or if someone came to me and asked me to print their wedding or anything like that. Yeah. I would be so scared. I just wouldn't be able to. <laughs> do you, uh, um, uh, would you give your uh, negs to somebody else to print? Yeah, I've given to Andrew Sanderson. Um, he's done brilliant work. He's printed a few of, uh, or he, he does a few of mine, uh, which he's done an excellent job, uh, better than I would have done. And uh, yes, I did, when I was in London, I gave um, a lot of my negatives to a, a printer there who's printed for Linda McCartney and, and all loads of people and for, for big galleries there and he printed them for me as well so yeah I give them out sometimes so did you learn anything from their processes uh, that you no uh, no I, I saw them do the well I didn't see Andrew do his work and right. um, this chap other chap um, he didn't uh, I wasn't around when he did his um, but uh, I came to the conclusion after seeing the work that I want to print my own work. Um, Andrew's prints is, is something different, but my other work, I, I like, I like to do it. It's like a, um, best way to describe it. It's like, um, writing a song and, and singing it yourself rather than writing a song and giving someone else to sing for you. Yes. You want to be able to do it. And I get such a sense of satisfaction looking at, a print knowing that I've done it right from beginning to end even though it might have taken me ages and I might have made so many mistakes to get there mm -hmm. um, at least it's like a honest from from me yeah if that makes sense it does very much mm. so mm. Um, intrigued I'm um, I don't know if you've stopped doing that but I'm intrigued with um, uh, the work that you do in the tank and the stones and um, the islands yeah. and the little seagulls uh, little seagulls uh, yeah. those are breadcrumbs yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but um i'm i'm intrigued by that because it's very very inventive and it's uh also you started telling stories when you initially when you were showing the first on twitter i'm, mm. I'm sure mm. you started to tell little stories did, yeah. and you've stopped doing I have, that i have why well it's it's i used to create these these things and I used to love naming them yeah. because I used to name them after people that helped me and people and it's such a nice thing to be able to do to say I'm going to name this print after you and it's like you're naming a rock structure or a cliff after someone and and people like it and yeah it's really nice and uh, I found that um I know I was thinking because it was all based around children yeah. and how children think because yeah, that's the way the whole thing started with it. It was listening to your kids, I guess. It was, it? yeah. Listening to my kids on the beach and them talking about things. And also that married up with a kind of blending in from ideas from Poppet Sands and a blending in from pure chance me walking up. There's a lane up close by called Badger Lane that's full of loads of rocks. Mm. And I, yeah, I said it in my films and whatever. Yeah. But it's um, a mixture of all these things all came together. And uh, it's one of those things where... Just by pure chance, everything happens together, and it's uh, down to the kids talking to you and opening your eyes up and them seeing the world in that particular way. And I thought, well, great, okay, I'm producing these images. Why don't I 
start a you mm. know pretend Twitter feed. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, pretending. That, so I, I found a picture of my great 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 grandfather. So. That's old photo, and I put that up, and I made up some name, yeah. uh, some voyage, and I started doing that, and I loved doing it. Um, but then I found it started getting a bit. I took up too much of my time, and it wasn't <laughs> that many people weren't interested. I wasn't getting much oh, in, God, interest I, back. I was fascinated. Were you? I thought oh, it was brilliant. See, if I'd known that, I'd have kept on going. But it's it just I didn't get very much, and I did it for quite a while, and then it kind of just like I wanted to do it every day type thing, and it, it just got. And then it started just getting a bit more, uh, and I had to keep on thinking of stories. And I'd love to be able to put it into a book as like a child's book or something, mm. like some kind of adventure book. Mm. And I've written to people and whatever, but you know, as usual, it's like, no, thank you very much. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that kind of, it's a shame. It kind of, it sort of dwindled away that. that yeah. Thing. So, um, how long did it take you to work out what technique you were going to use? To ages, make it? yeah, ages. Uh, it started off with ideas from Poppet and the negative. Because so I think all, all, I, I'm becoming slowly into the, of the mind that um, you, I personally don't have individual projects. I find that everything all blends and melds into one. If you you see the Poppet work and you see the the child's landscape work, what you don't see is all the the blending in that the two do to, from Poppet that sort of morphed into becoming the Charles landscape. And I've got loads of photos of abstractions and Poppet abstractions mixed with other negatives and all sorts of strange things. And then suddenly I start taking pictures of the rocks and taking photo, um, drawing at the, uh, on the beaches and around the cliffs. And it does take, you never really know which direction it's going to go. You just kind of do what it feels right and, and you sort of follow your intuition. And so it does take, a while but I wouldn't say it's a rule I wouldn't say you know it's going to only be a good idea if it takes you months to develop it, it it's just one of those things that either happens or it doesn't yeah um, uh, I read somewhere that you use um, bread yeah that's <laughs> um, right yeah. yeah so where did that come from I was um, I, I think that was a mistake I think what happened was I was putting the rocks into the, into the fish tank yes. and they were still covered in dirt and the dirt was coming off and making these patterns in the in the water and then i thought wow this is this is you know i was taking these long exposure shots of these rocks and this dirt was floating around and it was making these wonderful patterns i thought that that looks really good but the problem was it was making the water really murky yeah and the the camera wouldn't focus properly on the rock yeah and it was difficult to see it and it blurred it and i thought how can i get a similar effect but keep the water clear and breadcrumbs are pretty good. They, if they get them small enough, they hang around in the water um, mm. for quite a while before they bob to the surface. So that they just seem to fit, fit the bill. <laughs> so, but I can't think of anything else I could have used. Um, something that floats in water that doesn't sink. I can't think. I mean, sh- sugar would dissolve, wouldn't it? And yeah. bread breadcrumbs. Any other biscuit crumbs would sink, but breadcrumbs keeps times keeps us yeah anyway <laughs> so do you like it at all do, do i do you like the tank at all or no 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 it's just you've got an overhead light and that's just lit that way but i mean a lot of the shapes and the lights are made by me moving around right because i had a, initially a problem where I, i'll be sitting there in front of the fish tank and there'll be the rock in the fish tank and i'll be taking the long exposure photo and i'll get it back and there'll be a great big reflection of my face staring back at me <laughs> off the side of the fish tank but then i noticed that if i moved around yes it obviously would be blurred and you'd get different tones. And I, I realised that 
I could actually make the shapes of the clouds and, and whatever just by me moving around. So right, okay. when you look at those photos, the dark patches are nearly always me, depending on what color shirt I've got and whether it's a light shirt or dark shirt and whether it can see my bookcase in the background and all this. It, it all depends what, how the photo comes out. But it looks a bit strange, I have to say. Not you know, Imagine sitting in me sort of flapping my arms around. It's just so, I, what fascinates me about them is they look vast like mm. vast crazy places that's rock for you it's it's amazing it's yeah. the rock around here yeah. it's got the, it's the same properties a little piece of rock that way that size size of my hand can look has the same property as uh, properties as a rock i'm on kyber bay for example yeah. it looks the same thing and, and and it is a bit of you have to have make that switch away from reality i've just kind of said it before but you have to you can't when you look at something like that, you can't expect it to be real. You have to use your imagination the same mm. way a child would. And mm. once you do, I find personally, once you do start to imagine it the way a child would, it it makes it more real for me. You can, I find, I can almost smell the, the sea and you can hear the seagulls. It's not, you're not um, copying nature, you're interpreting nature, you're changing it a bit and doing yes. things, but it's not, it's not um, being reliant on the outside world. You're making up your... No. Your, your and world. you've moved into um, a different area with your latest work, um, uh, out, out working exclusively and making images in the darkroom mm. and, uh, um, and abstraction. Mm. Um, and But again, as you say, uh, all related to... Pop it. It's, it it's, it's this, this linear thing going through the whole... There is. I would love to be able to get a, um, some kind of video of a timeline of all the photographs and how they mould into morph into each other and mm. all the ones in between each group of photographs so you could see how all the changes made. But I, the, the luminograms that I do now, mm. I started um, making them... must have been... I started fiddling around with underwater abstracts when I was making my child's landscape images mm. and uh, it all it started changing and warping and twisting and then I started taking pictures of the sun um, some photographs and I used to keep them on 35mm film and mm. that kind of big circle thing I started getting those images and printing them and adapting them and changing them and through the printing process and messing around and creative play mm. I ended up with loads of bits of um, up photo paper like test strips that mm. I could never wouldn't you know use mm. and um, so I started um, just sort of playing around with ideas that I'd got from a child's landscape and pop it and yeah it kind of warped and changed and warped and started giving me results and it and it comes back down to being aware of how you feel when when you strike gold or your own personal gold and and knowing Ah, oh, that that excites me, mm. and being able to um, really focus on that mm. and uh, move away from everything else and understand why you like that particular thing. Mm. Um, it's kind of like um, uh, if you're imagine you're you're taking a, a you see candles, or for example, um, I was thinking about this the other day, and and <clears throat> the best way to describe it, but I, 
if you say you see a candle and you think, oh, that's that's beautiful, the candle. I love I love the look of that. That that's I'll take start taking photos of that and the flame mm. and everything. And you mm. start taking photos of candles, and then you suddenly realise after taking the photos that it's not actually the candle itself that you love the look of. It's the flame. So you start taking more interesting yes. photographs of the flame. Yes. And then you think, oh, hang on a minute, it's the base of the flame that's the bit that's really interesting me. Mm. You start looking at the abstract images, and then you think well, hang on a minute, it's actually the shadow on the wall behind the flame that looks beautiful. So then you move your interest to the shadow on the wall and you see the textures in the walls and then you think, wow, that's beautiful, the shadow of the flame. And then, then you see the shadow of the smoke coming off the flame and you think that's wonderful. And then you think, well, hang on a minute, those shadows look beautiful. I wonder if I could get the shadows of other things that would interest me. So you start looking at the shadows, maybe shadows of people or shadows of heads. And then it's that kind of, thinking and moving from one thing you go from photographing a candle to ending up photographing shadows of people's faces so it's kind of like um seeing something that you feel really strongly excited about and understanding what that thing is that you feel excited about it and really studying it and then being prepared to change completely what you thought you were taking a photograph of because you've discovered something else that that, that was the real reason why you're but that's very brave really isn't it um yeah i suppose you have to be prepared to move and change and not just stick with something and i think that's that's really important uh aspect for me anyway it's just growing and developing and not not staying in one place yeah so do you think there's an inertia then in landscape photography uh, that it's become this chocolate boxy type uh way of looking at the world and yeah. especially uh, today i noticed that you know you can go to google plus and you see all this hdr stuff going mm. on and that sort of um doesn't excite me at all mm. uh, but do you think there's that people aren't looking the way they should well i think everyone does it for different reasons and i think okay. if someone wants to take landscape for themselves yeah. because they love the look of hdr they love these wonderful colorful landscapes then who am I to say they shouldn't be doing it? Because I think a lot of people take do photography for fun. They don't, it's not, you know, their main passion in life. They work nine to five and they want to do it to relax. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, I wouldn't call landscape photography relaxing at all. No. But to so many people, it is this fun thing. Um, it's the, the, the people who uh, say that they have creative vision. There's so many people professionals out there that talk about their creative vision where in fact all all they're doing is producing the same as everybody else yeah um but it's i understand that a lot of people have to make their living or do make their living out of uh, photography Mm. and so they they i think they use the creative vision headline as some way of getting customers or or getting people onto a workshop but i mean there are quite only a few i can think of who do run workshops and who make their living that do have this creative vision. Mm. But it's I was thinking about that as well recently. And I was thinking the problem is that people that run workshops can't follow their creative vision as freely as I expect they would love to, because they have to provide inspiration and they have to start people off at a certain a base level. And if they go a bit strange or a bit obscure, then for me, that would be bringing new people in at a, at a a certain level where they should be starting at the base level and 
working their way, way up. Yeah. And um, I think I was <laughs> another analogy I find is that I think workshop leaders, I think they do a really good and, and teachers, they do a really good job of getting people initially interested and passionate about photography. Right. Um, but I think the problem is they're a bit, they were like, um, I was thinking about this, they're, they're like um, uh, those planes that tug hand gliders. <laughs> they, they pull them up and they tug them with lots of effort and they get them up into the air and then they put it and then they show them that everything and it's fantastic. But what they don't do is they don't let, let them go. What they should do is they get them up there, they give them all this teaching and get them really excited and passionate about it. And then they should, either the hang glider person should unattach themselves or the hang glider tug plane should say, right, off you go. But they don't and they they they, they follow them and the, peop- the hang glider follows the teacher everywhere they go and they stay following the teacher. And the teacher doesn't get a chance to go off and go and explore other exciting avenues because they're too busy going down landing and putting the next one up and going and doing the usual route. Yeah. So it has to be, I think some teachers do it. They have to get to take them up there, get them passionate, but then say, right, whatever you do, do something else other than what I'm doing or do something else that I haven't seen anybody else do. Or maybe they could do a course where it starts off with, them getting inspired by the landscape and making the end project being I want you to produce a group of photographs that I've never seen the like of before and that that would be I think that would be wonderful for 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 the for the students because it's kind of like getting their it's opening their them up to be able to glide off and yes. find new new areas